Well, thanks so much, Glenn, and um, it truly is a privilege for us as a church to be involved in the community that we are involved in and to be able to reach out to people and, and share something of who Jesus is practically but also spiritually. One of the other things, and it, it escapes my mind a lot because of the season that we're in, one of the other community groups that we are connected with is Knox Church's Soccer Club. And it's easy to forget that because the games are not happening, but we've got a community we partner with of approximately 500 people. And that community is still operating, and in that community we are still reaching out and, and listening, and they're communicating with each other, we're communicating with them, and uh, taking in their needs and some of the things that concern them as well. So we want to keep them in prayer as well and recognise that, um, yeah, there's a whole opportunity there for us to be family with them. So I encourage you to remember them as well, even though the games are not happening at the moment. Well, it's a joy to share the word with you this morning. And um, I want to use that word because, you know, in this current season, joy at least for me, is sometimes a little harder to find. Um, and maybe that's true for you as well. And so I've been praying this morning. I've been asking God to give me joy in the Word. And I've been praying that for you as well. That um, this morning as we look at the Word, as we hear from God, that we wouldn't just hear words, but that we would feel the joy of God's presence and that the Holy Spirit would just open our hearts, open our minds, and open us up to hear him and to know him this morning. I'm praying that for myself and I'm praying that for you as well. So as we look at the word, I encourage you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open your mind and open your heart to hear what God has to say to us this morning. You know, God is a speaking God. He's always speaking. Um, our job is to listen and to allow the Holy Spirit to nudge us to listen as well. So let me begin... And I wanted to start with asking you a question. Have you ever heard of spatial disorientation? If you haven't, that's okay, because I hadn't until that this week as well. But it's something that can happen to pilots. It's when everything that a pilot believes about their position or about their motion actually conflicts with reality. They can experience this often with disastrous results. It's when it's dark... They can't see the horizon, so they're flying on gauges. They've got to rely on gauges. But what they're seeing in the gauges doesn't gel with what they sense. So they can begin in that position to refuse to believe or they mistrust the gauges, preferring to rely on what they believe to be true or what they feel is true. However, all that they feel and think is true, what they're experiencing, etc., actually isn't. Everything the pilot believes to be true turns out not to be so. And they're confronted with a rude shock, which at worst can be the plane hitting the water or, or hitting the ground. And there's plenty of stories if you want to Google it around that sort of stuff. You see, their senses, all of them, their feelings, their thoughts and their, their impressions might tell them that the plane is going up when actually it isn't, it's cruising. And so everything within them tells them to pull the plane down and you can imagine what happens. They pull a plane down, they pull a nose down with disastrous results. And needless to say, that for that moment, all their experience, all their senses, all their beliefs were not the truth. So the shock is confronting. The real truth in that instance is indisputable. And if it's disregarded, 
the consequences are dire. That spatial disorientation. And you'll get where that's going a little bit later. For the last four weeks or so, we've been focusing on uh, Jesus' I am statements in John. His seven I am statements in John to the listener's ears created something like spatial disorientation. We've just talked about it challenged everything they believed was true, everything that their experience had told them or stories had told them to be real and true. And I think that even for us today, Jesus' I am statements can do the same. They can fly in the face of what, what we perceive to be real and to be true. Jesus' I am statements might even seem too absolute at times and, and maybe even to some offensive But in the past weeks, we've seen how they actually reveal a loving saviour who knows us. He knows our needs. He understands our journey. Yes, even the journey that we're in now, in the situation we're in, in these times we're in now. And he wants us to see that he is all sufficient, that I am is all sufficient. There's everything that we need there. He's the bread of life, that which we need to live and be sustained He feeds our souls and he gives us life. He's the light of the world. Glenn shared about that. He left our own devices. We wander around in darkness. But Jesus is the light that leads us out of darkness and into light. And furthermore, shines the way forward for us. And he's the good shepherd. Not only does he tend and care for his sheep, but he's willing to give his life for us. And he did. And in this, he's the door to life, eternal life. He's the resurrection and the life. We fear death and pain as humans because we feel that it's final. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not an event to look forward to or a doctrine to preach. It's a person to look at, a person to walk with in life now and to life eternal. And all of these I am's show an amazing loving saviour who wants us to be confident in the fact that he is I am, that he is who he said he is. Perhaps the I am statement that confronted the listeners the most is the one that we're looking at today. And maybe this is the one that's hardest for us too as intelligent human beings, we think. Hardest for us to swallow. This one might expose our own spatial disorientation more than others. Maybe this one's a little bit too arrogant for modern thinkers too. It's too absolute. So let's have a read of our scripture today. And today Tyson's going to read the word for us. So why don't you follow along while Tyson reads. Today's Bible reading is John 14 verse 1 to 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told that told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way to where I am going Thomas said to him Lord we do not know where you are going how can we know the way Jesus said to him I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you had known me, you would, know, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thanks, Tyson. Thanks for uh, doing that for us. It's great to see our kids get involved and um, 
It's fun to see different faces on the camera, I'm sure. So let's have a look what's happening here in, in, our, in our text in, in John chapter 14. Just before our reading, just before the part that we read, there's a lot of going and go stuff going on, isn't there? Like things like, where am I going? Or where, sorry, where are, Jesus says, where I am going. And the disciples ask, where are you going? Jesus says, I am going. One of the disciples says, why can't I go with you? And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. And then that one where he says, you know the way to where I'm going. That one got them. Thomas' response, wait, what? How can we know the way? So there's a lot of talk about going and, and things changing. And our reading began with the line, let not your hearts be troubled. There was consternation. There was confusion. They were disturbed and, and they were troubled. But Jesus is about to answer a question that's way bigger than just now, just in this now going thing that they're talking about. The disciples were thinking way small. They were just thinking of the present, thinking about themselves, what was going to happen in the immediate future for them. Because things were going pretty okay till all this talk about going came up. But the disciples were also part of a society that in many ways was engaged with the bigger questions of life. What is our purpose? Who do we follow? What is truth, etc.? Those are not just questions that we ask nowadays. They were doing that too. They were part of a society that was doing that. There were many philosophies. There were many gurus that professed to know the truth, that, that said that they knew the way to live. There were many afterlife theories, death theories, gods to follow and, and idols to worship in order to, to do the right thing. There were many beings that would lead them if they would only follow them. And most everybody in those days was attached to some form of philosophy that showed a way or a truth or a life journey to, uh, or a purpose to be lived or a journey to the afterlife, whatever that was for that particular group. So the disciples weren't in totally foreign waters, yet they didn't really get it. What Jesus was talking about. In the midst of all these kinds of things, and in answer to what was probably a set of petty questions, where are you going? Can't we come? You know, where, what, what's happening? Jesus decides to answer the big one. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God, because I am God, is what he's saying. Wow. That was another absolute claim. The listeners that were there, all of their ears would have pricked up. What is he saying? Do you remember last week we talked about when he started claiming that he was God, people started picking up stones to, to stone him. Well, again, he's saying he's God, and, and the listeners' ears would have pricked up. Even to the disciples who were probably by now a little used to Jesus' radical moments or the, when he kind of did those weird things, even to them this was pretty confronting. To the others listening, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, any officials that were there, this was more than confrontingly arrogant. It was blasphemous. You can't say you are the way 
or the truth or the life. And you certainly can't say that we need to go through you or that you're the way to God or the afterlife. Why was this so hard uh, for them to swallow? Why was this so confronting? Because Jesus was saying that all that you've believed, all that you've experienced or heard to be true or right, all the self-determined ways that you've had to live, all your independence and the intelligence and know-how that you think you have, all your gods, your idols, your gurus and your theories are not the truth. All you thought you knew, you don't. All you thought you controlled, you don't. The way you think things happen or are happening isn't the way it's happening. It was a kind of a first century spatial disorientation. And the real truth is a rude shock to them. It's too absolute. Because this would demand their surrender. This would make them dependent. And they hit the ground with a thud. You know, and I wonder whether Jesus doesn't also touch a nerve with us here as well. Do we prefer to stick to our version of what's real? Jesus was saying, I am the way. You need me. I am the truth. You must only believe in me and not all those other truths or philosophies, not your own intelligence. And I am the life. You can't decide what's life. You can't decide whether life is good. You can't decide whether life starts or finishes. That touches a nerve. This was tough for the listeners of the day, but you know maybe we're not so different these days. And that's why I said perhaps this is the toughest I am for us too. Because we live in a time when there's a plurality, I can't get this word, plurality of religions. There's many truths, isn't there? There's many ways to the next thing, whatever that might be. If, you're, um, you're, if you believe in nirvana, if you believe in, in reaching that stage of nirvana or you know, the Buddhists of the old soul, you know, in Hindu religion... There are 330 million gods. How you serve them. You know, and, and even if you're not in one of those boats, there's many well-meaning people that you would speak to that would like to say, well, don't all religions lead to God after all? Well, no, they don't. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Too tough, maybe? A little ungracious? Perhaps it's a bit uncharitable to our ears and to our world? Arrogant? Exclusive even? Here's a quote from a Christian magazine interviewing young university students just about this. They were asking them about how they felt about Jesus' claim to be the way, the only way. This is what one girl said. She said, Christians can focus so much on Jesus rather than the message he set. By focusing on Jesus, it excludes other religions and people from having a relationship with God. I have a lot of trouble with the concept that if you don't worship Jesus, you're not going to heaven. That's too exclusionary. When he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, I think he's actually really just talking about 
my way or the way that I'm trying to show you and demonstrate to you. So if you just live the way that he showed us, then that's the way that you can have a relationship with God. So not only those things are in play, but we also live in a modernist, rational and transactional world. And its thinking is hugely confronted by this statement of Jesus. And we can be part of that world too, can't we? Think about it. Why would our world find this teaching so hard? Why might we find this teaching so hard? Well, I think the big answer is that we believe that we are the I am. Let me say that again. Why does Jesus claim to be I am seem so hard to us? Because we actually believe that we are the I am. I am. I'll determine the way through my prosperity or my success or my security or my self-sufficiency. I am. I'll decide truth, what's fair, what's right, what's real, what matters, uh, the value of individuals. I am. I will define life. I'll make a life for myself. I'll decide whether life is valuable or viable in my truth. Look at our world. What happens when we decide that we are the I am? What happens when we are, or we think we are, the truth, the way, the truth and the life? When we decide that we will determine the way, where does that lead us? Well, Jesus said it. It leads us to our own devices. It would lead to death. And it does because we try desperately to save ourselves. We think that we don't need Jesus. I can do it myself. Can you hear your, your little growing up child saying to you, I can do it myself. I don't need you, Daddy. I don't need you, Mummy. I can do this myself. And, and watching them fail. And that's what we do. I can do this myself. I know the way. Our ruthless paving of our own selfish way, our own preferences and lifestyles, have le has left many people, nations and cultures in death and despair. The way we choose to live our life at the expense of those who don't count as much. What happens when we decide the truth? When we decide what is real and has value? Well, we leave broken lives in our wake. We live in deception. Things like the value we place on individuals is no longer intrinsically high because they're image bearers of God, but they're scaled up or down or they're valued depending on how we feel about the way they live, the choices they make, the society they come from, because they don't live the way that we do. They don't believe or chase the same dreams that we do and they don't have the same desires as we do. Perhaps we think they're less intelligent than we are. And so they're less valuable. What does that lead to? In our world, that leads to oppression, to rape, to abuse, to murder. And I could go on. When we decide the truth, value gets lost. What happens when we define life? Through our own understanding or our experience of its value, where does it lead? It leads to things like abortion. And euthanasia. 
Ironically, right now we're in a panic because of death with the COVID-19 thing. Yet we kill millions in the womb. The thought that people might die through this virus disturbs us. Yet we're not disturbed anywhere near the same extent when we think about how many die in the womb. That's what happens when we define life. That's arrogant. How offensive to God when he sent his son to bring life, that we would define life like that. Yet when Jesus is these things, when he is the way, the truth and the life, people get their true value back. They get their life back. Because all in, in Jesus' way, all life is sacred. All people have value. All people need to be cared for. All cultures can reflect God. And so much more. When Jesus is these things, humans, people, the world gets its value back. And really, that's exactly what we all want. Our souls are on a deep search for the right way, for the real truth and the real life. But it takes surrender. And that's what we find hard. That's what the people in Jesus' day found hard and offensive. And so do we. You've probably been in on conversations or you've heard conversations where people say, you can't say that Jesus is the only way. You know, you've heard those conversations. No, you can't say that. You can't, you know, you can't say that out loud. Well, Jesus did. He did. And so can we. You see, the way, Jesus, is a worthy way. It's a way of dignity. The truth, Jesus, becomes greater than me. And it isn't dependent on me. It's everlasting and it's unchanging. The life... Jesus is sacred, it's engaging, it's now and it's forever and eternity. That's the life, Jesus. The way, the truth and the life is way, way better. You know, and these things matter to us, they're important. Jesus said these words because he knew that, he knew that these things mattered to us. It's important that we hear them that we understand them and that we heed them. It has eternal importance. We want these things so bad. We want to know the way. You know, every human is desperately searching for the way. What's the truth or, or how do I? It's that eternal search. We want these things so bad. And we can see that in the way that we try to define ourselves as human beings or cultures or societies. And it shakes us to the core when we or our ways come up short or they're proven wrong. We have our very own spatial disorientation experience, don't we? We hit the ground with a thud because all we thought we knew, we don't. When all we thought we knew was better, truer or more noble, when we find out it's not, then we hit the ground as well. You see, the way, Jesus, is not an idea. It's not a how-to. It's not a ritual or a process. It's a person, Jesus. The truth is not a concept. It's not a system. It's not a theory. It's not an opinion. 
It's a person. It's Jesus. The life is not a style. It's not a personal choice or experience. It's not a human value system. It's a person. It's Jesus. But as was true in Jesus' day for the people listening, and it's true for us, we will never find it. We will never feel it without first surrendering to Christ. We will never find it without a relationship with Jesus. And as rational people, we can find this hard. We might prefer the rela- our relationship with the message, the how-to, or show me how and I'll do it. We prefer that relationship than a relationship with the messenger, Jesus. Because he's the way. You see, our way, our truth, our life versions are always temporal. Jesus, the I am, is eternal. And we don't find it till we find Jesus. Till we see him for who he is. God standing before us. Like I said, historically, people searched and went on crusades to find the truth. They went on crusades to find the way or the life. And so do we. We might not get on a, on a horse and the picture of an old crusader, but we go on these internal and these, 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 these crusades to discover the way, the truth and the life. You can look for the way, the truth and the life everywhere and not find them. But if you look for them in Jesus, you'll find them in him and he will lead you home. Jesus says to us in our society, in our culture, in our COVID-19 world, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Stick with me and I will be with you always. And search is never over till you find Jesus. And when you do, freedom follows. Do you notice when we're hunting always for that definition, that way, that life, we we feel trapped. We're looking for freedom. When you do find Jesus, when you do, when you do realize that the way, the truth, and the life is in him, he's a person, freedom follows. Jesus said back in chapter 8 of of John, if you've been reading through John, you'll remember he said in chapter 8, verse 32, he said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've all heard that before and it's true. And what's more than that, you'll see his relentless love, you'll see his care, you'll see his tireless passion and pursuit of you and me. Leading us to real value, real life, right now and life eternal. Why do we look at this? How does a right perspective for us on these things matter? Why is it important? Well, look at our world. We can see that our way isn't working. It's even important for us as Christians. It's important because as Christians, and and I know this in my life, we we stray, we, we meander. Our perspective gets fuzzy. We get distracted by things. You know, society, our culture, the status and Earthly success and all of these things, we, we get pulled into those ways and, and those truths ourselves, And they lead us to believe our own experiences, our own feelings and our own desires, our own spatial disorientation. Today, we need to hear 
that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're searching, and if you're like many human beings right now and throughout history that are wondering what is the way, what is the sense of this, what is the truth? If you want answers because the world's ways seem pretty shallow to you, the experiences and the feelings that you've had in life haven't really led you to peace, haven't really led you to a place where you think, ah, I feel that freedom. You've looked all sorts of places but you haven't found it. Then these words are for you as well. Look at Jesus today. Look at the way, the truth and the life. Let him lead you home. Let me just pray with you. God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for just for your love, the love that, and the joy that comes through your word. The way that you reach into lives that we have, that where we struggle, where you reach in to bring comfort with words of truth, with solid things that we can grab onto and say, yes, that's what our soul needs. That's what we've been looking for. You are who we've been looking for. We've been pinning our hopes and our truths and, and the way we see life on so many temporal things. But you are who we need. And we thank you for reminding us of that this morning. Lord, and we pray for those of us that do walk with you, that do know you, Lord, we pray that you would, you would show us by your Holy Spirit where distraction is taking us away, where we're beginning to or have started to redefine these things, where we've seen them differently. And remind us that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, that you are not too absolute, that it's not exclusive, that it's the most loving thing that you ever did to draw us into that truth. Lord, for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray, I pray that you would reach in with that same love, open the eyes of those of us that don't know you, Bring relief to that search and that, that desperate looking for who we are and where we're going. Help us to see you standing before us and see that love that draws us into you. Lord, we thank you that these I am statements are there to show us how much you love us. And today we've seen that again and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.